the OCR is just as confused as everybody else. Welcome to episode number 179 of Grumpy Old Bands for Friday, July 23rd, 2021. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where the weather's so hot, I'm wishing I was in Walla Walla. And from America's left coast, where most URLs are syntactically valid JavaScript code, I'm Ryan Bemrose. That doesn't sound like that would be good. No. It was just something I came across when I was doing research. Actually, I was researching about Pearl and uh, kind of lost a little bit of my sanity, but we'll get to that later in the show. Uh, the the short version is that you uh, JavaScript has the ability, like many C-like languages, to have uh, a name colon, and it treats that as a label for a go-to later. And all the C-like languages seem to have this system so that you can go to, even though nobody ever uses a go-to. It might be geeky. But then the next thing after like you know, HTTP colon, which is a label, is slash slash, which starts a comment and everything else doesn't matter because it's a comment. So it, <laughs> it was just kind of fascinating that a URL tends to be a So if you paste a URL into your JavaScript source code, you'll probably not get an error. But I don't think it might do exactly what you intended if you put it there. Be like, why isn't it working? It's not going to the world. No, it doesn't. No, that's not how it works. But then again, who knows? why the internet works the way it does dns has a lot to do with that and uh i mean it was big news again this crash well not really a crash but this dns issue that happened with how do you say this akamai akamai how do you say this akamai akamai now this is another one of these companies that most people have never heard of and have no idea why an error for for most people, you don't see their brand. The only time you'll see their branding, it's like Cloudflare. The only time you ever see Cloudflare Cloudflare branding is I, I had I had dental work yesterday, by the way, and not <laughs> um, enough coffee is in an error message. Is the only place you're going to see the branding for a lot of these companies. So it means you know for in the minds of a lot of people, if you ever see the words Akamai or Cloudflare or AWS, it's because something broke. Yes, and in this case. Big, big break, break and update. I mean, this was kind of like big, bad windows confused. And uh, they pushed an update that broke the DNS for a lot of major sites. It all happened during the no agenda program yesterday. So nobody that was listening to that really paid attention. But I guess there was about an hour or two where the Internet was like, eh, don't want to load. I did notice this because uh, I would, you know, I, I was doing my research during the No Agenda show. Like every time, every time Adam and John try to talk about something technical, I'm like, I need to research that to see if I can correct them. Because of course, you know what what Abel Kirby wants to do to us is some the kind of thing that I like to do to No Agenda. <laughs> that's not nice. It's sharing the knowledge. Yes, I, that's what I'm. That's exactly what I was talking about. What are you thinking? Right, right. Not fact checking. Not looking to make them look bad. It's just sharing the knowledge. Pointing out that things have details 
that sometimes don't rise to the top. But this uh, this failure of the DNS system due to them pushing an upgrade just shows you. I mean, we want to believe that the Internet is somewhat decentralized and free from, you know, if one thing goes down, the whole world goes down. And I don't know if we're really anywhere near that when you see this kind of stuff happening. One company pushes I, I, an update. I'm not convinced. You know, the, the one of my favorite sayings about the Internet is that if if there's damage there, you know, uh, the Internet treats censorship as damage and routes around. And and that was probably true of the original ARPANET back in the 1960s. But uh, the the Internet for at least 25 years has been a pretty much run by a few backbone companies. And when a backbone goes down, there is no routing around because nobody ever creates more than one route. Yes, it's not hopping billions of times through every computer in between you and whatever you're trying to get. The backbones are the super highways of the Internet. And uh, as you said, when they have a problem, then the Internet as a whole has a problem. It's always I haven't I haven't done it in a while, but it used to be really interesting to me back about the time that we got the always on connection, which blazing fast speeds about what it was, what, 1.5 meg down. but doing trace routes when you were hitting different websites or if you were transferring things uh, between people, you know, a buddy of mine in California, you'd want to see how many hops were in between. And it was always interesting to kind of follow that. And it's something, if you've never done it, there are, you know, internet websites you can go to and do it easily. Or there's tools you can do it on your machine that follow along and see how many machines that data is actually going through from when you send that bit out to when it actually gets there and vice versa. And it's an interesting system. I mean, it it is amazing that it works overall, but when these little things happen, and I mean, not really a little thing when half the majors, you know, I I mean, I, I can say without any hyperbole whatsoever, the internet is the most complicated thing that humanity has ever created. Yeah. And it works overall fairly well, which is surprising, I guess. I, we not not due to any of our fault at this point we at this point humanity is along for the ride i think pretty oh well you're saying the ai is going to take over at some point well as soon as we finish the current mode of uh, a wave of centralization that seems to be happening everywhere which of which this story is an example i mean the the logical end of that is skynet well you know the overlords need to know everything you're doing which is Also, the question when it comes to things like privacy, when you realize the major backbones that are running a vast majority of things and you think that you can uh, and you any kind of you can keep any kind of privacy, maybe a uh, a fool's errand to believe that that's even possible at this point. Um, But, you know, we want to believe it's all decentralized, but it's getting as you said, more centralized. I don't think we're over the last 10 years. I don't think the internet has gotten more decentralized. I think it's gotten way more centralized or am I just a Luddite and wrong? Oh, I think, I think you are absolutely correct. Uh, and I have uh, one word for you that will uh, demonstrate your point and that's called Google. Oh yes. Well, there is that Google. Uh, I have some other words like Facebook where uh, I, I did, this isn't a story I brought, but uh, apparently uh, Zuck wants to change Facebook from a social network into a metaverse. 
I didn't, I didn't bring it because it was aspirational. He was talking out his ass and saying, <laughs> I just want to make Facebook bigger. And I don't know if that's the kind of thing that's even feasible, but well, but I thought it interesting. He, he would like Facebook to be integrated into every aspect of every human's life on the planet. Well, of course, because they need all of the data, you know, and he's been one of the few big tech guys. We're going to get to a story at some point today about Amy Klobuchar. You say that as if we get to stories. Usually we just talk. (laughs) Well, right. But we eventually will hit this. I mean, a little bit more in detail or we can hit it now. The fact that the left now, because Amy Klobuchar is pretty far to the left. I mean, there's Republicans and Democrats and (laughs) that's profound. Yes. And, you know, you have but you have varying degrees. And I mean, overall, Amy Klobuchar is more to the left than your average Democrat, I believe. And all of a sudden, she's going after the Facebooks of the world and wanting to pull the Section 230 protection that they have, which is something that the Republicans were just trying to do a few months ago. And Zuckerberg is one of the only leaders of any of these companies who have come out and said, Hell yeah. You know, I think the government should do a lot more and I think they should regulate more and I think they should be a lot more involved where everybody else, it seems, well, is going Zuck like, is, no, Zuck is a hell of a lot younger than than Schmidt or or Bezos or or Pichai or I, I he is. Uh, I don't think that he's quite as wise or or seeing the big picture if he's asking for more government. Yeah. Uh, Adam Curry always likes to talk about, uh, you know, the or, or maybe it's the on no agenda. They like to talk about the idea that if you use the media to catapult to fame, then it is only a matter of time. The media will turn on you. And I think that's true of if you use politics as well. Uh, if Facebook has been the darling of a lot of politicians who see Facebook as something they can use for their own purposes. Yes. But Facebook is getting a little bit too big. It's it's like the you know, the wild animal you keep in a cage to feed your enemies to. And then it gets a little <laughs> bit big and starts straining the bars of the cage and like, well, got to put it down. And I think Facebook's reaching that point. Well, and it's interesting because Facebook was created in a way with their like system where people built their own profile without realizing when this first came out, I don't think anybody that was using, okay, anybody's probably a stretch. I'm sure there was somebody that realized this right off the bat that going in to a service like this and saying, Hey, my favorite bands are the Beatles and Bruce Springsteen and Tom Petty. And my favorite authors are Richard Marchinko and my favorite uh, coffee is black. And having this profile that people were like, well, you know, this is a good way because then other Springsteen fans can find you and you can communicate and other Dick Marchinko fans. You could talk about the books. And that's that's what we were sold. Yep. (laughs) Now what you've realized is like, oh, no, this is all to sell you advertising and to manipulate you in ways that you never knew were possible. And maybe it started out with the best of intentions as a lot of things do, and then turned into something that took a left turn because they needed to make money. If Facebook never needed to make money, maybe this would have never happened. And the advertising would never had to even be a thing because 
it would have all just been happy and nobody would have to pay for it and and it would have all just worked. But that's not the reality of the universe. But the amount of manipulation they can do by getting this information from you via Facebook. And I watched a was like a 15 minute video that the Wall Street Journal put out about TikTok that was fascinating. I'll have to find a link to it. It was on YouTube. It was also on Wall Street Journal, but they linked to a YouTube video where they posted it. And I think everybody should watch this because they did a it was a weird little experiment because I don't know exactly how this would replicate. But they created a bunch of bots that they signed up to TikTok and they gave the bots a personality and they showed how the content changed depending how people interacted with TikTok and how the bots that they had say that were programmed to be depressed that were you know interacting with the depressing content watching it more than once was a big thing spending more time with the content got further and further down a rabbit hole that within like 45 minutes to an hour was getting like 98% depressing content because they realized they can keep you. It's all about keeping your attention. It's not about making you feel better. No, it's not about making your life better. No, all of these algorithms are put into place to keep you on their service longer. But what they found out was it only took like 45 minutes to an hour to maybe two hours of interaction with TikTok for them to have a scary profile on the person that is interacting with those videos. So so it sounds like what you're saying is that researchers have now successfully modeled the inner city Zoomers brain. I think so. Yes. And beyond, which is scary. <laughs> Sign on to TikTok and within 45 minutes, you're depressed. I mean, we don't need AI for that. We got plenty of humans who are already living the dream. But it goes to you don't actually have to give it the information. This isn't like I have to tell you any particular details about myself. It was just based upon what people clicked on, what they interacted with. That is all that need. You know, we we laugh about all the idiotic, really straight in your face kind of questions you get on Facebook, which seemingly to people that know are data grabs, you know, like, hey, where did you meet your spouse? Hey, what city were you born in? Hey, what's your favorite band? Yeah. And yeah, they don't have to ask you here. This is the insidiousness of this is it seems that these algorithms can pick up a lot of very specific details just based upon what people interact with on these sites so you don't even you're, you're like ah, i would never give them that information well if you're on tiktok and you're honestly swiping through what you like and what you don't like that's just as bad as giving them all of your information because they're building a profile that is way more specific than i believe most people realize enough money has been poured into the uh, uh, the effort to destroy your privacy online that i I really try not to be surprised about any advances in data collection. At this point, I feel like just having an IP is enough to leak a significant amount of personal data. And I am incredibly careful, but it's frightening when I get email spam. It's like, 
Uh, hey, Ryan, we noticed you're thinking about leaving your home at this address, and uh, <laughs> we'd like to offer you some equity. I, I, I'm like, okay, are the are the advertising bots now listening to Grumpy Old Ben's? If so, be. donate. Yes, come on, bots. And uh, thanks to DigiGuru, he pointed the uh, link from YouTube, so we'll have it in the show notes now for sure from the Wall Street Journal thing. But it, it shows... Oh. Way beyond just TikTok, because this is how all of these systems are working to build a profile about you. And they're using them. I mean, again, in a perfect world, they would be used to make your life better. But in this case, I mean, that's that was the saddest thing about watching this was, you know, so if somebody's depressed and they're swiping through those kind of videos rather than the algorithm going, well, hey, you know what? Let's send them some crazy cat videos that would make them feel a little better. They're like, no, no, let's bring them further into their depression. So they stay on the site longer. You know, yeah. it's not good. I, no, it's it's psychological manipulation. And I'm not even remotely surprised about it. Anybody with enough self-awareness to want to pull themselves out of the depressive cycle of social media needs to realize. And and most people who who actually analyze it do figure out pretty quickly that it, the social media is not a coping mechanism. It is the thing that is damaging your brain and limiting your interaction. I'm not saying don't do any social media. Don't go out and Bemrose and delete all your accounts unless you're me or you want to be me because that's pretty awesome. But just limit your exposure. Well, doing a detox every now and then is good, even if it's just for a few hours. I mentioned this to you the other day because you had sent a message in the back channel and it took me a while to respond. I'm like, well, I was at the retina guys. And uh, once they put those drops in my eyes, it's pretty much eight hours before I could really read anything clearly. So I don't look at any yeah. of, the, you know, and it's like, it's nice to, uh, I, just, if I want, if I want instant communication, I'm going to use something more synchronous than, than our IRC back channel. So I, yeah, I, 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 there are people out there who are like, oh my God, he hasn't texted me back for eight hours. Maybe he's ghosting me. Maybe <laughs> I'm dumped. Yeah. Or maybe he's just taking a really long crap. I, get over yourself. Stop being so short attention. But you know, the funny thing is as a guy who was, uh, a, a diagnosed with ADD way back in the day, and I know I have a short attention span. I tell you what, I have not. I've never gone so far into social media that I can't weather an eight hour delay on IRC of somebody responding to something I typed in. It's an asynchronous communication. I guess I came up on email where, uh, you know, early on when email was delivered every 24 hours on FidoNet and I, okay, you know what? You just wait before that. And, and I, our, our boomer parents had to deal with this thing called uh, physical mail where it might take several days for your message to get across. How could people today even cope? Yes. Well, that's why I hate the instant messaging systems that show you. Oh, they read your message. It's like, screw you. I turned that off. Oh, I always, always have. turn that off. Always have. Do not send. Yeah. Do not send that. But it was nice just to, and I, you know, I realized it. It's like after, you know, the eight hours or whatever it was, because I got the drops in and I was at, there from like noon. So it's like, okay, I'm sure I checked something before we left the house at about noon but then really wasn't back online to like nine or ten at night and it was like it was nice to just get away and not even be checking things and not worrying when the phone goes and to see like oh was that a message was that what because you're right the uh the concept of instant communication now is the minute you 
message somebody, email somebody. You're like, oh, do they respond yet? Oh, do they respond yet? Oh, what if they're going to respond? And it's, it, it, it amazes me the, the ability of people to take an inherently asynchronous form of communication like an SMS message and try to turn it into a synchronous by executing a wait on the received message and then getting angry when it takes a little bit of time because I'm not dedicating any CPUs to that stupid little phone right now. Yeah, it might be might be projecting for some uh, a particular person who I won't name in my life who does not comprehend if I don't respond immediately to an SMS. <laughs> I'm like, well, uh, you, you're you're going to have a lot of anxiety then. Yeah, yeah. The, this is it's the world you live in though now because you have the devices you're expected, which has changed without going off on a huge tangent. But for folks that have a work life that involves anything that you can do remotely the concept of you did your work at the office and then left it at the office is gone because you know your boss knows you can do work at home you can send that email at home you can call somebody you have uh always yep. you, you, you know you're on call that that was that was starting up eight years ago when when i was looking into leaving my company and you know one of many reasons why was uh, I, I, I absolutely love taking advantage of the remote work feature, which was just starting to come online. And, uh, it meant not having to commute because commuting is a pain in the ass. But the, the expectation, we, the official company line was still, uh, work life balance, which is, is a great key phrase that HR people love to give to you. But it, it, you've always got to pay attention to, the the difference between saying you value work life balance and then saying, well, uh, I figured you were probably still at your computer because uh, you only logged out ten minutes ago, and so you know I was hoping you could get back before the. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not here anymore. We I understand it? that everything is collapsing, but I don't have any kind of agreement that says I'm on call, so it'll stay collapsed until tomorrow morning. See ya. Yeah, I had a buddy that worked for a software company out there. In, I, I think uh, I missed some opportunities for promotion for, with that attitude, by the way. Probably, but you have to make those choices because I had a buddy that worked for a very small software company out in the Bay Area. And when he was doing support for the company, that's where he started in that. Oh, well, you know, they wanted you to be on call at crazy times because it's like you're in California. You know, what about your customer that's in uh, London? You know, when are they going to want to call if they've got a problem with the software? And it's like, I just don't know how I would have. I See, I wouldn't have dealt with that very well. You know, if your phone rings at like three in the morning and they're like, well, you better get up and answer it because that's a yeah, customer. The, there's a simple workaround like one that I'm using right now. It's that you just tell your phone not to ring. Oh, look, <laughs> you, you talk to your phone. Does it talk back to you? How does this work? Yes, uh, I, I use uh, I use a, I give it haptic feedback with a hammer. Well, that will turn it off. Turning it back on then takes a little extra work. It involves going out and buying a new phone all the time. Well, that actually is uh, it's effective. There, there are people who, who go through phones that quickly. Not cost effective. Yeah, I mean, I've thought of uh, throwing like somebody's phone out a window every now and then from a moving vehicle. And it was always like, OK, see, when this was long before they were a thousand dollars a piece, there were times I thought it might be worth it. And I'd just be like, OK, here's the 300 bucks. Just go buy a new phone. I, 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 I might be saying this from experience. It wasn't out the window, but there was actually a case where we were in a moving car and I was trying to have a conversation and the phone was in. I was driving, fortunately. 
So the person <laughs> who had the phone up in her face was not the one driving. But I'm like trying to have a conversation. And she was staring at the phone while talking. And I just grabbed the phone and threw it into the back seat. And uh, that ended the conversation, which I, depending on whether or not I wanted to finish it, could have been a good thing. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's that's a uh, it's a serious way to end the conversation. But, you know, it, you know, it's funny how people talk about doing stuff like grabbing someone's phone and throwing. But when you actually do it, people get irrationally angry. <laughs> yeah, but see, the back seat's much easier. Than, yeah, it wasn't out the window. Than out the window because. Uh, it's like, you know, when, when people talk about brake checking and, but you know, the one time when I actually did brake check somebody to the point where they rear ended me, everybody got really cranky as if I was the <laughs> asshole. You know, there's, there's different ways of looking at that one, but, uh, you know, everybody has that urge to do it. And the older and larger your vehicle is, you're less likely to let somebody in when they're trying to merge. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. there's. There's some rules of the road that you just have to understand. And yeah, a lot of people don't. like like uh, yeah, pri- lane priority based on mass. Yes. You know, this is exactly and, it. You know, whether you have metal or plastic body work, that sort of thing. Yes. And if you have metal and they have plastic, you're going to win. And it's amazing how many people don't realize so that. I have a story from Google that I don't hate. Uh-oh. Um. Google search is introducing some transparency. Uh, this is uh, an expansion to their about this result box that pops up when you're doing search results. Uh, now, I don't use Google, so I actually had to go look up what this box does. But it shows you things like uh, whether it's HTTP or HBS. It shows you whether or not. It, well, Google will say this search result is not an ad. I looked at the screenshot actually said this search result is not an ad. And I, I liked that phrasing because it implies that the default of every search result on Google is an ad. Yes. Yes. So this paying. one just is. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's paying yeah. for something. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, in the example screenshot, it said, uh, you know, this result is not an ad. Nobody paid for this or whatever, uh, which I guess means you're supposed to trust it. Uh, I don't necessarily trust Google enough to, for you to even believe when they say it's not an ad. Right. Because here's the question. How much extra does it cost to get the, this is not an ad thing added to the, ad? yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are people paying to get to, this is not an ad tag. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and if you know what, I, if I ever make a search engine, I definitely am going to be b- building that kind of business model. Um, but they also and this this part uh, might be a little sinister, but hey, you know, it's more information and I like more information is uh, that box will also show you if they have any listings from uh, Google Jobs, Google Business, Google Local uh, listings, uh, yeah, a lot of Google services and Wikipedia. So if if you point to a result and there is a Wikipedia entry about that result, say somebody is a, 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 has written a uh, blog post about something controversial, like the kind of thing we would talk about on this. Apparently, if you hover over the result, you don't even have to click the result. You don't give the person who wrote that post any impression whatever story yeah you don't give them your clicks because google will pop up instead the wikipedia text which we all know is unbiased oh of course no it's the opposite of unbiased in fact even larry sanger who founded wikipedia is saying oh yeah by the way wikipedia has turned into a total leftist shit show but 
um, Google is adding to that box, which uh, I, I I told you I wasn't going to rag on Google this this one. And so far, I feel like my restraint has been commendable. Um, Google is now adding why that search result popped up when you typed your search terms. Really? And what kind of info are they given? Well, they are giving uh, whether the information like whether your search terms are in the result, the the in in the. You know, the, the result is the, the page that it links to. So right. whether the search term is in the result, whether related search terms are in the result, uh, whether other sites with the search terms link to your result, whether there is image content, uh, for, with, related to your search in, on that site. And then, uh, language and religion, religion, region specific information like, uh, it, it, well, right now it's only rolled out for English, but, uh, so, they're giving you a bunch of information that says things like, uh, you, know, you, you search for grumpy old Ben's and, uh, you know, you, you hover over the link that says rare encounter and it says these people envy this show that you searched for. <laughs> and, um, the reason I brought this story entirely is because, uh, the, the question of why was this result listed in a search engine is, marginally interesting to the average end user, but that is game changing for SEO, for marketers, for people who are trying to get their results, their site, their clients pushed out to the front of a page. The moment this feature rolls out, I can see SEO engineers the world over who are going to be doing Thousands and tens of thousands of Google searches just to try to figure out why is this getting shown? Why is this getting shown? Why isn't mine getting shown? And I, I think that this, this could be game changing for trying to manipulate search results to get your site in the right place. Well, and there have been, I believe, lawsuits against Google for people saying that they were intentionally burying their results so this may be a reaction to that which is well here we're going to be transparent you're right everybody's going to try to game it the problem with that is google still has the ability to tweak and change anything they want at any given time because we know the whole seo market is a combination of snake oil and it's a uh, other part uh, manipulation totally that is doing their best to get your page above everybody else's. But everybody wants their page higher than the other one. And it would be a nice world if the algorithms, we know they're getting smart enough because we just saw what TikTok can find out about you in an hour, that you don't have to play these games of, oh, putting the right keywords and formatting it just in the right way to get your site to the top of the search rankings. It should just be, have the best information on the topic, not all of this other crap, but I get stuff all the time, which I don't understand. That's, that's so naive. And I, and I wish we lived in that world. <laughs> I know. I mean, but it's, it's weird because I use the same WordPress template for grumpy old Ben's and random thoughts. And I keep getting emails from Google saying that the random thought site doesn't look or work on mobile well because of some oh, stuff and it's like saying saying the random thought site keeps ripping off the gob site right it's the same damn site come on man uh i just don't understand why like oh well it doesn't look as pretty on mobile so we're going to bury your result 
I mean, I guess if somebody's on a mobile device, I understand maybe where you might ding it a little bit, but the stuff that Google does or any of these search engines, I mean, that's it's wrong to just point at Google for this. They all have their secret sauce and how they well, it, determine it what to wrong, serve but Let's you. continue doing it. They deserve it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun and they deserve it in a whole lot of these cases. But I remember when this whole thing first started out where that was a huge deal when I mean, they at least Google warned people for like a couple of months in advance before they start totally dinging people for having non mobile friendly sites, because for a long time, all the sites when I was doing web master web design full time stuff was only desktop. So when the mobile devices popped up. When Google decided, like, you know, if you don't have a mobile friendly site and there were a lot of bigger companies, including banks and uh, stuff like that, that are like, screw phones. You know, we have an app for the phone. We don't care what our website looks like on the phone. We're not paying for a whole new mobile response. I, I did site. just cringe a little bit, but I understand where you're coming from. Right. I mean, but this is the, uh, you know, once they saw, well, Google says, you know, if somebody's searching for banks now you're not going to get listed because your site's not mobile friendly. So we're, we're pulling you off of our rankings. It's uh, you know, I mean, they manipulated everybody to format the site exactly the way they wanted in order to play in their sandbox, which was, I understood the reasons kind of behind it. Well, one of the reasons is because if every site has exactly the same format, the same elements, the same type of things in there and is the same level of machine readable, then Google can abstract the web away and make you obsolete by just taking your content, putting it into the index and displaying it in this little pop up box next to your what Wikipedia says about you. Yes. And that kind of stuff is insidious, too, because when somebody wants to say, uh, why do people look up restaurant sites? Because I do a couple different restaurant sites for a friend that owns a couple of restaurants. And really all people want to know 95% of the time is when you're open and your menu. And those things are just very simple text that, as you said, Google could easily just give you a little pop-up like, oh, see the menu. And it just shows yeah. up without even sending that. I- I, I think I was on the Bing team when, uh, well, it was, it was called Windows Live Search at the time when we introduced that feature and, uh, we got a, a number of angry people who were like, I can't believe you're taking our clicks away by displaying the open and close hours. Yes. Yeah. It depends what people are looking for because what the folks over at, you know, Bing and Google are thinking is, Hey, we're trying to make this as convenient as possible for your customers. They just want the hours. And what a lot of the restaurateurs are thinking is, well, they're going to click on the website to get the hours, but this is our chance to extra sell them. You know, we we want pictures of our food and of our dining room and to excite them to make sure they come in. And, 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 And as much as I hate to take this position from the perspective of an end user, who only wants the open and closed hours and the menu. I'd rather not have to click through a page and wait for a loading time and wait for CSS to load. And especially if you're one of those obnoxious webmasters who builds your entire site in react or something, wait the extra five seconds for my browser to finally render and run your 12 megabytes of JavaScript code. Just Don't forget so that I can sites. see. The, uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, clicking through, I don't understand. Well, I do. I do totally understand. But in the last 
35 years, uh, computers have become five or six orders of magnitude faster. And yet a web page loads slower than it did in 1994. Why is that? Because of the amount of garbage people put on the site, the amount of crap that has to load, the megabytes and megabytes of stuff that has to be transferred over the network just to get something to display. And then you add on top of it all of these sites that are are responsive and like, okay, but I'm only going to look at it in a maximized desktop browser window. Do I need all your responsive JavaScript that repositions elements over and over again in case I happen to somehow transfer to my mobile screen? No, I just want to look at the information on your page. And the the I guess what I'm saying is I'm on from an end user perspective, as an end user. I am absolutely in favor of search engines taking the parts about your site I care about, discarding the 15 megabit, uh, megabytes of JavaScript and ads and CSS and just showing me the one piece of information I want. I want that. In fact, I'd love if your site would do that. But if your site's not going to do that, if your site doesn't load in under a second, then I'm cool with the search engine at now. I have to go shoot myself because I decided with a search engine <laughs> against a small developer, but that's where we are today with these frameworks. Well, and there's a certain amount of people not knowing the right way or the best way to present the information. D.E. Metis of Fun Fact Friday fame is in the troll room, and he talked about a pet peeve of mine, which is restaurants that provide their menus in PDF format. I I am going to go on record and say that anybody who provides information in PDF needs to go reevaluate their life because that is not the correct <laughs> format for anything ever. The only thing that PDF has ever been good for is formatting, pre-formatting it and distributing it for printing. Yes. And here's a hint. Nobody prints anymore. No. And I we for offer Dvorak. it on the restaurants that I do. I have it in a text form. And often we will put a link to a PDF if somebody wants to print. Karma King, you shut your mouth. PDF is the worst possible way to distribute a book. Uh, Let me tell you this. As somebody who has failing eyesight and uses an e-reader, when somebody gives me a PDF and the e-reader decides it's going to take that eight and a half by 11 formatted thing, which uh, a standard text on an eight and a half by 11 sheet is already something I have to get my glasses out for. I'm not a huge fan, but then you shrink it down to a four inch screen and those pixels are, it's like five lines per millimeter and there's no way it's impossible to read. So what do I have to do? I have to go get a third party library to reflow your PDF. (laughs) What was the point of even bothering to put it into a PDF, which is just a pre-formatted? No, give me a text file. Give me an EPUB. Give me something that lets my device reflow it on its own. PDF is wrong. Well, yes. And the other thing for restaurants, what a PDF of your menu will not do is share that information with the search engines. Maybe that's a feature. <laughs> it all depends if, you, if, you know, if you've got. An, <laughs> I guess, guess it depends on whether you want any customers. Right. If you, you know, if your food's good or not, the that was always a big thing for me. It's like I could never stand the PDF menus. So always went. Which was a real pain because when I start doing these sites on Drupal, there was no built-in menu module. So you had to go in, create the data set, and you know, have the whole data, you know, basically create a database where it can print the information in any way you want. 
the Squarespace site, this we they do not sponsor us. I wish they they would give us a lot of money. But the Squarespace sites for I, I think you're about ten years past Squarespace sponsoring every podcast. I know. I do remember that, which is why I gave them a try when setting up these latest restaurant site rounds because one, I was tired of constantly updating Drupal and WordPress at the time just wasn't great. I know WordPress has gotten better with that, but there's still issues. The way that Squarespace handles the menus is genius. It's a pure text thing that all you have to do is change the text, which means if you're setting up a site for a restaurant owner, they won't have to call you to change the menu or to change the price. If they can edit a text file, which which really is it, it's the thing I just ranted about. It's reflowing JavaScript combined with some really cool CSS tricks. And and don't get me wrong, for laying stuff out, CSS is amazing. And then and then of course you know you use your JavaScript so that you can reflow that CSS. But uh, okay, you, it's uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I I it's it's valuable to use the web technologies for that because again, uh, you you reflow you. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to start ranting again. So I'm going to stop talking a moment. <laughs> you want to cent- center myself? Center yourself. Should we, should we uh, cover the story of Amy Klobuchar? I mean, we kind of started it, and then we kind oh, of we kind of uh, got, please please do. Kind of got off. I I, the, I did. I, I I vent, but that's good. That's good. We we're here to vent. We're here for people to uh, to yell back at their whatever they're listening on. Like yes, yes. I, I feel the same way or no, you're morons. Either way, reach out to us. Let us know which one it is. Get in the troll room when we do these shows live Mondays and Fridays at noon at noagendastream.com. That's the place you want to be. And of course, you could always hit us up via email. Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at grumpyoldbenz.com or Ryan, R-Y-A-N at grumpyoldbenz.com. But, you know, as we said, the uh, the Trumpers have been very much up in arms about the social media, the censorship going on on these platforms. And they were the ones for the last few years who were saying, well, they don't really deserve this 230 protection anymore because they're publishers, because they're deciding what gets printed and what gets deleted. So, I mean, there's a certain case that can be made there for the longest time. The liberal folk weren't really all about this, but all of a sudden, Amy Klobuchar is all about this. Of course, she wants to carve out a little bit more of a niche, although we know what happens when you put any law into place. But she wants the niche of misinformation about medical stuff. Then, then we should be able to go after the Facebooks and the Twitters. Her, so her big problem is there's too much medical misinformation. And these sites aren't doing enough to silence the people that disagree with her and the liberal left when it comes to things like the coronavirus. You know, something that you're never going to hear any any Democrat today admit because it goes against the party line. But the 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 idea of of trying to censor anything, even if you have a really good reason for it, even if you honestly believe the medical information coming out of the Fauci's of the world, uh, it, it, there's this silly little thing called the First Amendment that says thou shalt not censor. And 
I understand that no Democrat today has even looked at the Constitution, and some of them are not even aware that such a document exists. But in theory, they are still supposed to be bound by it, and the courts sure as hell aren't binding them. So we, the people, need to hold them to that sort of thing. Censorship is bad. I don't care what excellent reason you think you have if if you are if you are saying you know this information you know and when i hear medical misinformation it is now code word for information that doesn't follow our narrative right which is of course pure evil and needs to be stopped even if we didn't have but even under the very tenuous idea that what they're saying would would save lives or or that this information getting out would be a problem it doesn't matter the constitution does not say that free speech shall be abridged unless you think you have a really good reason that people shouldn't need to know it just right. says thou shalt not abridge it and, doesn't say that but well what we get is infringe yeah and biden president joe biden in his i mean i don't know they called it a town hall but it was really just a big circle jerk on CNN Wednesday night. Biden actually seemed slightly more lucid than he has recently. But so that's a good sign. That's a low bar. It is. That, that's true. That's a very low bar. But he echoed something that's been said a bunch of times on the left, which is we listen to the science. And Bill O'Reilly pointed this out. But this is something we've said a bunch of times on Grumpy Old Ben's is when you say something that vague, we listen to the science. Well, as O'Reilly pointed out, scientists do not agree on whether or not the coronavirus started in a lab. The scientists don't agree exactly on how to treat coronavirus. Scientists do not agree on global warming. Scientists do not agree on almost everything. Here's an inconvenient fact that doesn't really uh, work very well with the idea of science as a religion and and scientists as the deities to worship. That is, scientists are human. And they don't agree. If scientists yeah. all agree on something, then it's no longer science. Well, if, they, if they all agree on something, then they're not human or you've managed to kill all but one. Yeah. And I pulled out a quote for the latest Random Thoughts, which I thought was a decent show. R-A-N-D-U-M-B thoughts dot com. From the late great Charles Krauthammer that, you know, pointed out for science. And it's again, a sentiment that we've echoed here over the last 178 episodes, which is science at its heart is to understand that it's not settled, to understand there is always more work to be done, to understand uh, that what we believe s- today may be different tomorrow. I, and that's a good thing. That's a feature. That's how the scientific method is supposed to work. Yes, but not not with these folks, because they want you just to listen to their side. And the quote from Klobuchar, which I actually cut and pasted to make sure I didn't uh, miss this one, really annoyed me. She says earlier this year, I called on Facebook and Twitter to remove accounts that are responsible for d- producing the majority of misinformation about coronavirus. But we need a long term solution. So her yeah, answer they're, they're- again wasn't well just put a warning on this information it wasn't just take down this particular post it was delete the accounts of people that are posting this stuff and it, the, I, I am so frightened about the, the overton window has moved it's now in a different wall the, the because people like klobuchar are not even 
they, they've long since stopped even trying to hide or sugarcoat or or talk around or give excuses for their incredible authoritarian uh, dictatorship censorship. They, they're just they're saying, well, the reason why we have to censor people today is this. The reason why we have to impose our will on people today and and we have, you know, especially in the last 18 months of of uh, discovering that 85 percent of Americans are all sheep who will uh, cover their face with uh, a bacteria cloth and then hide and cower under a table for a year and a half because you say so. We have discovered that Americans just go along with it. So they're saying, well, okay, well, now that we've convinced you that we have to censor things all the time for your own good, here's what we're censoring today. That's the only thing that comes out. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm the, I'm one of those people who's sitting back at the beginning. Like I didn't jump on board your, your censorship train. And now you're just kind of choo-chooing down the tracks and uh, gathering steam. And I'm sitting here going, but, but we used to not like when people told you what you couldn't do right being forced to do something mandating something not allowing for anybody to have a different opinion that is dangerous i saw a great comic the other day it uh the the first panel was uh you know somebody uh in a, a lab coat proudly saying uh you know all scientists agree with this and then the next panel is uh, somebody else coming in from the side saying, actually, I'm a scientist and I don't agree. And then the third panel is uh, the the classic uh, uh, shot of the sky at night with moon and lightning and all silhouettes and a knife silhouette held above. And then the fourth <laughs> panel is a dead body on the floor and the original person saying, see, all scientists agree with this. Hey, that's the Hillary assassination group at its finest. Or, or just a description of how cancel culture works. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Klobuchar says, quote, this legislation will hold online platforms accountable for the spread of health related misinformation. So when do we hold Amy Klobuchar responsible for the spread of her misinformation? I don't know. I think everybody should, uh, you know, be uh, where's she from? She is a Democrat from the beautiful state of Minnesota. Okay, so far down the toilet. Would you get in there and start voting her butt out? (laughs) That would be nice that you start getting rid of the politicians that are completely nuts. And I mean, it's really hard with gerrymandering and whatnot, but but it's it's not gerrymandering that causes the large voting blocks to vote for these people time and again and bring, you know, to to bring back uh, Maxine Waters for her 814th time. It's the fact that there are a very large number of people who are encouraged to vote, but also encouraged never to understand what their vote means or does. Well, I mean, the sad thing about this is the reaction from a logical person would be if somebody is spreading what you feel is misinformation, prove them wrong. Make your case not to silence them. That's where the you, biggest you, issues are. And see, you you would do poorly in college today. I know what what we're what people are being taught in college today is shout them down, shout them down. Don't even let them speak because it's too dangerous. It's like and they believe, I guess, that if you control the complete narrative of everything that is on social media, then the percentage of people say in the United States that do not want to get the vaccination for whatever reason 
that they would change their mind. I don't understand what they think, what effect this would have. The one interesting stat also that I had no idea, and I have not done my research to double check this, but Bill O'Reilly brought it, and I believe Bill, is do you know what the largest demographic group is in the United States right now that is not vaccinated? People? Well, yes. But specifically, 49% of African Americans not vaccinated. That is the largest group. I am not surprised. I am not surprised in the least because if if there is one, I, I mean, as long as we're dividing people by race, which I hate doing, but if there is a racial group who has far more reason to distrust the government than your average dumb white people. Right. It, it would be the, the, the people who, if, if you really need to apply the whole idea of racial history, then boy, the U S government sure has shat on a, a lot of black people in their day. And I'm not just talking slavery to go back that far. Uh, you know, the word Tuskegee experiment certainly rolls off the tongue of a lot of people who are are black community members and don't trust their government. Now, the interesting thing is, turn on MSNBC. I know. I'm sorry for asking anybody to do this. Turn on CNN and what yeah, you're you seeing. See, you, you need to be canceled for misinformation now. <laughs> what you're getting, though, on those networks, when they talk about people who don't want to get the vaccine, horrible Republicans, horrible conservatives, horrible Republicans. I don't know. 49% African-Americans, why aren't you calling them out? I've never once heard CNN, MSNBC, any liberal newspaper say, hey, black people, why aren't you getting vaccinated? You're killing us all. But they're happy to do that for the Republicans and whiteies nope. and all that. So it's a very interesting to kind of watch that. I, I would argue that the number one demographic group uh, that has decided to wait on the the vaccines or whatever the hell these are, they're not vaccines, but uh, to wait on these things would be critical thinkers. The kind of people who look at evidence and then make a decision for themselves. And I'm not saying, by the way, I, I got, I got called out by uh, somebody whose name I shouldn't mention on NAS when I made this point on NAS. And he said, well, does that mean that if I decided to get vaccinated, that I'm not a critical thinker? I'm like, no, if if you thought about it and then decided, then you've still made your own decision. But the, I, what I will say is that the people who are not thinking about it, which seems to be in the majority of these days, are just being, well, I was told to go get shot. And so I did. I, I, and that I, I think that. You know, whether or not you you want to divide by race, I like to divide by whether or not people are thinking for themselves and people who are thinking for themselves. And and I have an MIT study to back this up are going, you know, there's a lot of information here that's not being clarified by the mainstream propaganda. In fact, every time that one person says, I'm not sure that these are safe, can you provide me a little bit more evidence Then the response from the official channels is. Uh, well, you just need to shut up and take it for everybody's good. Well, that's if, if, if you're trying to convince somebody who is all about just laying down to authority and doing whatever they're told that works, you know, I, I am, I have a concern. Well, shut up and do it anyway. Okay. Yeah. But for people who aren't convinced by somebody in the government coming out and saying, you know, you need to take this shot for your own good and totally forget about all the atrocities that governments have have caused in the last 
five years, let alone 200. And people are not convinced by that, but we, we are reaching the point where they're not even bothering trying to convince people anymore. You, you've got Biden coming out and literally saying, if you don't get the shot, there are going to be consequences. And you've got people who are apparently important enough to be on TV in the mainstream. I don't remember who it was, but I heard the quote from No Agenda yesterday saying, uh, you know, it's time to stop pussyfooting around. We need to just take everybody who hasn't got the shot and tie them to a table and force them against their will. And uh, if nothing else that has gone on in the last several years is going to cause a violent revolution in this country, maybe that's what it takes. And but I don't want to be the first one on the slab. Well, that's not going to happen. I don't believe in the United States. Now, I, there are other countries that I don't either. But it bothers me that people are getting uh, mainstream news time for saying this. Well, because it's going to happen in other countries. I do believe this is going to happen in places, possibly in the EU. You know, that aren't really what you would consider like backwards, crazy countries. I do believe I'm starting to. <laughs> well, there may be good reason for that, that, uh, you know, forcing this on people is never the right thing to do. I don't believe that the vaccines are anywhere no, we, near as dangerous as some people do. I think people have reactions I, and I think I, they're I down to, uh, you know, a handful I, I, per million. This isn't like, oh, everybody's got it and they're dying. It's like, no, that's not the I, truth. I, I want to start and, and clarify that it is disingenuous to say the vaccines as if they're all exactly the same thing. Oh, also, yeah. I've been saying that there for are a long wildly time. different. There are wildly different formulations and different things. And and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't like the idea of calling them vaccines because a number of them aren't. They don't fit any of the classic definition. But uh, of course, the marketing and, and legal reason why they're referred to as vaccines is because if you call it a vaccine, then you get the indemnity and you can't be sued for killing people. But that's a, that's a different point entirely. Well, it's all tit for tat, but this is people should never be forced, at least in the United States of America. I mean, there's plenty of countries out there like Cuba that the left loves that you don't get a choice. The government tells you what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. The United States, we have the freedom to decide for ourselves. We still well, have we the freedom to. of speech. I mean, they're trying to go after it. And I think that all good people will eventually stand up. And this Klobuchar thing is not even going down well with people on the left. The uh, Chamber of Progress, which I mean, there's there's the name of something that sounds half Disney and half Orwellian, but the Chamber of Progress, which describes itself. Is, is that is, is that going to be a new Disneyland ride that that, that is so dystopian? Yes. Hello, boys. Oh, I can't say boys and girls. Hello, dreamers of all. Hello, ages. boys, girls and, and non-binary. Well, you can't. No, you can't say boys and girls. Now, you, Disney oh. just says. And, Hello, people of various fluid genders. Yes. It used to be ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dreamers of all ages. Now it's just dreamers of all ages. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, boys Disney and girls. Is hypocrites. Disneyland still has men's and women's bathrooms. <laughs> Why I, have I've you got to point out this I've, stuff? I've, I've seen it. It's still got a picture of Mickey and Minnie Mouse on the two doors. You're like, when are you going to take care of this, Disney? Why don't you go all in? That's I don't get it. But I do. The uh, Chamber of Progress. It is a center left tech policy coalition. Even they are against this saying, quote, we all want less misinformation online, but this approach would turn future Republican presidents because, you know, all future Republican presidents 
will be evil. There, there's no uh, question. All, uh, you don't you don't even have to say that. All you have to say is all future Republican presidents will be Donald Trump. Yes. And suddenly I uh, you, you see half the country start cowering in fear. But they admit that if you do this, then future Republican presidents, you'll turn them into the speech police. And Democrats would regret this, says Adam Kovovich, who well, is that's the, an epically biased one sided argument. But he's correct. Yes. But it's like, yes, Democrat. Everybody would regret this. This is again, everything yeah. is politicized up to the hilt now, no matter what. And it's sad that we are at the point in this country where it's a political issue to go, hey, free speech. <laughs> okay, one side's for, one side's against. Really? Somebody's turned against this? That used to be a unifying force that no matter what, everybody was like, yeah, we get it. We need to let the wackos talk. I mean, I go back to the Blues Brothers movie in 1980 where the Illinois Nazis were on the bridge and then they ran them off with the car. But, you know, they had the oh, right that was to just speak. Good, clean. That was good, clean vehicular <laughs> homicide fun. Yeah, well, they didn't actually hit anybody. They just got them wet. So it was different. Oh, attempted homicide. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. much different. But the concept is we understood that the other side gets to speak. And what we get to do is give our side of the story. So if somebody's out there and they're saying, ah, the world's coming to an end because of climate, well, then somebody on the other side gets to go, yeah, you know, but the data you're looking at is completely flawed because of X, Y, and Z. And this is how debate happens. Once you start shutting one side down, that is where you're on the highway to hell. And not in a good ACDC cool song kind of way. It's in the way of you're going to soon be like a Cuba where you just don't have any say in what goes on. And I, I understand that I'm, I'm definitely talking to a wall here or, or probably just a very large choir who don't happen to be the people in Booberry's home state where we can't all vote against Amy Klobuchar. But um, that kind of reasoning is and, and I don't think I'm being hyperbolous here. Um, is objectively un-American. It is, it is objectively, it is evil. It is uh, incredibly wrong. There is no scenario in which we should be allowing people to even call themselves representatives of the United States of America who espouse ideas that are so diametrically opposed to what the United States of America is supposed to be about. She is not working for the people. She is not working for Americans. I don't know who she's working for. Maybe the Chinese Communist Party, maybe the Democrat Communist Party. I don't know. But she needs to not be in that position. Well, and there's a lot, including uh, Elon Omar, also from Minnesota. AOC. Yeah, seriously, Booberry, would you vote harder, please? <laughs> you got to you got to do something in the great white north of minnesota to bring some rationality back and i do not like where all this stuff is going this social media concept and you see it on twitter and facebook which are the only ones i kind of check that anytime somebody posts something about covid you see the big warning label posted to it about ah this is about covid19 and it may be missing for it's like this is so very Orwellian to see posts automatically tagged based upon their subject matter to warn people about yes. what they're reading. Although I would I would argue in that particular case, the place where you went wrong was posting to Facebook or Instagram. 
Yeah, but this is where people talk. We've had this argument yes, way too many and, times. And, and, that, yeah, and that is what needs to stop. And I totally understand I'm Don Quixote in this argument. Yes, it's the public square, but you cannot escape this. I saw an interesting article from the AP, which I'm like, oh, well, you know what? This is interesting. It is getting away from the COVID. It is about the economy. And the headline was that Americans spending again, American Express profits surge, which I means shows people are getting back out there and spending money, going out to restaurants again, going out and shopping. Because, you know, I mean, I guess if you were out of work for a long time and you're back at work and now all of a sudden the restaurants are back open, people are actually spending more, according to this article, than before the pandemic, which is kind of crazy. To me, when you look at it from that aspect, but here's the article. And you tell me when you see things uh, that maybe are a little out of place here. It says American Express took a hit in the pandemic with fewer Americans traveling, dining out or shopping, spending on corporate and individual charging credit cards dropped. And those who kept a revolving balance paid off their debts. That spending freeze thawed as infections plunged during the vaccine rollout. Infections have begun to spike in some regions of the country where vaccination rates are low. COVID-19 cases nearly tripled in the U.S. over two weeks amid an onslaught of vaccine misinformation that is straining hospitals. And it's like, wait, so we're, we're talking about the economy. And then we get a whole paragraph. About- you know, if there's one industry in my city that seems to be doing pretty damn well, Coffee? even after a year and a half of lockdown, it's hospitals. <laughs> well, the other They part. seem to be doing OK. Are they doing better than Starbucks? I, well, I mean, in, in, in the city of Everett, Washington, there are, uh, exactly six buildings over 10 floors and, uh, two of them are hospitals and uh, two of them are, uh, county buildings and two of them are banks. So, gee, which industries are doing well <laughs> now? But I want to understand this is talking about the economy and then all of a sudden it goes into the misinformation. So it's like, Amy, who's she working for? I don't know, but the AP is on the same thing. You have an article about how American Express is doing, and then it says COVID-19 cases nearly tripled in the U.S. over two weeks amid an onslaught of vaccine misinformation that is straining hospitals. Wait, how is vaccine misinformation straining hospitals? Now, the COVID cases, I would get could be straining the hospitals. It's all hyperbole. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm tired of talking about COVID. We're not no agenda. This isn't COVID though. This is talking about how this is being thrown down people's throats in an article about how American express is doing and people are spending more money, but you can't even look at an article about that without getting it thrown down your throat that, Ooh, vaccine misinformation is dangerous. The AP. Okay. Well, okay. Then you you, clearly, you got your answer. Well, there there, you go. There's a narrative going on here. Uh, it's the official think? narrative. I'm tired of the official narrative. <laughs> now, before we get to our experts, I, I wanted to cover this story. Okay. Which is, uh, it's very serious. Comes out of the Daily Mail in the UK. Single Japanese man, 51, almost masturbates himself to death after suffering a stroke moments after he ejaculated. Uh... <laughs> I have no words. This is a warning for See one. Why? Why do you have to mention that he's single? I mean, that's because <laughs> there were no other men attached to him at the time. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, 
this he was didn't just, come in a four pack. Yeah, I guess. So it's a single Japanese man rather than multiple Japanese. Yeah, that's maybe that's what they meant. These normally this happens in packs. Only, this only happened to one guy this time. Right. And that's the news. Not that it happened, but that it happened to only a single Japanese man <laughs> and not, not a group of them all at once. Yes. They, this they, they just want to be very clear. This was not a Bukake party. And the, the doctors claim because Bukake stroke party is 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 not actually how you want your meetups to go. The article says, and I quote, doctors claim the 51-year-old who they didn't identify. Well, that was nice. <laughs> they didn't identify the guy because it's like, pay, you know, it was on Drudge, I think, is where I found this. And okay, like, well, they did, Drudge minus minus. Seriously, they, what? <laughs> they didn't identify. Why this, is this a story? He enjoyed pleasuring himself several times a day, according to the story of the man that they don't identify. But the, okay. The habit nearly killed him on one occasion after he suffered a stroke just moments after completion. Now, here's okay, the thing that I wanted to point out, because what we're seeing with all of this medical misinformation, I, I think we have to be very clear that this article then says the NHS says the stroke the man suffered can be triggered by having sex, coughing and even going to the toilet. So I'm going to recommend to all listeners just stop doing all those things. Stop having sex, never cough and stop going to the toilet because that well, can all kill you. Coughing. I'd be willing to give up um, the going to the toilet. We would. Uh, I don't think I'm going to give that up. I, it, <laughs> it's, hard it's, to. it's an important part of my day <laughs> and sex. No, I'm sorry. Life without sex might not be worth it. It's uh, that's a like, crisis. Yeah, I, I, you, you use the word warning in there and I'm like just from an objective perspective where my mind is going is this this is a warning for for what the don't like obviously don't do those things is ridiculous. But right. is that what they're actually warning about? Like, don't go to the bathroom. That's that's not really helpful advice. <laughs> I, you know, don't don't masturbate. Well, uh, I, I got news for you. This is the kind of thing, you know, people learn it during their teenage years and, and most of them will just carry it on for a long time until, unless they can find somebody to do it for them. This is like it's saying, saying don't masturbate. Cause you might have a stroke is like saying, you know, don't go outside because uh, a random COVID particle might float from three blocks away and can't, it, it's not, it doesn't happen. This is this is not good medical advice. No, but you know what is? I mean, this is uh, towards the end of the article here. The doctor that is uh, being interviewed here explains that taking certain drugs like guess what? Guess what can cause an increase in risk of having this type of stroke? What drug do you Pfizer's think? Viagra? Yes. <laughs> yes. What a surprise. Taking drugs like Viagra or cocaine. So, I mean, those, those are the two choices. Viagra or cocaine. But, but Pfizer would prefer that you get Viagra because they get paid more for that. Yes. So, I mean, it's a lot safer. Viagra or cocaine can increase the risk. The doctor then says, on a positive note, you will probably do more I mean, to prevent having a hemorrhage by avoiding smoking, recreational drugs, and managing your elevated blood pressure with your GP rather than abstaining from sex in all forms. <laughs> now, Also, one of those is more possible. The The final sentence of the article says, it comes after a 22-year-old student in Taiwan died from a stroke while having sex with his girlfriend in 2017. What relevance yeah. is that? What relevance <laughs> is this entire story? Can, can I ask you a favor, Darren O'Neill? Yes. The next time that you feel like bringing a story this stupid, 
just go go leave it as a, a voicemail no, on sorry. another show. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I thought this was this would bring a little levity to the program. Oh my god, I I feel dumber having heard that. I mean, I, this I, is what we're hearing. We're hearing all about this I, medical uh, misinformation, and then there's I mean, this story. St- statistically, of course, something is going to happen somewhere in the world. You know, when you're monitoring billions of people, there every. Every one in a million chance happens a thousand times a day when you're monitoring a billion people. That's right. Basic statistics. But that doesn't make it news. That's not. You know, you okay. hat. You might be right in the troll room. If you take the uh, Viagra and cocaine, they might just equal each other out and you're perfectly fine then. So try yeah, that. Just if you remember, want. you you can't you can only sue Pfizer for the cocaine because the Viagra is technically listed as a vaccine. And do not take any medical advice from the grumpy old Ben's host or anybody on the grumpy old Ben's program, but you can take it from our experts. We do have some experts to thank for today's show. Episode number 179. We're closing in on the magic 200. Will we get there? Won't they get there? Bum, bum, bum. You have to tune in to find out. I, I figure what we should probably do is just stop at 199 and do a little end zone dance there. Just, just do an end zone dance. Do a, uh, do a maps with Matt thing. Do a, uh, uh, yes. DC girls, we're, a smash we're, cast we're start thing. Getting reports. It's been 157 days since the last grumpy old Ben's. Yes. When will they get to number 200? They just stopped. They disappeared. They fell off the face of the earth. What happened? Nobody knows, but that would be rude to do to our experts who rely on us for it would be the entertainment. That, that might be why we do it, but, but we're not going to this time. We are the intersection of tech and politics here on Grumpy Old Ben's. And we do work on the value for value model, which is something we learned from Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak over at No Agenda. And if you're listening on a podcasting 2.0 app right now, this is when you want to boost. Boost it good. Hit that little button. Boost, boost, boost. We're about to hit 100,000 Satoshis. Probably today. And, uh, I mean, that would be a lot more exciting if a Satoshi was like a dollar. <laughs> what's the what's the current transfer rate? It's like a uh, hundred Satoshis per penny year. It's pretty low. That's, I mean, it is pretty I mean, it's not low. a lot. Yeah. Satoshi. Yeah, we, we appreciate any any donation, no matter how low, which might be the theme of today's show. Well, <laughs> isn't it always we can always use more. But the folks that are coming in at the lower amounts. We appreciate because they're consistent and the 100,000 Satoshis, $32. So, I mean, not horrible, but that's over like three months. So we need more people to get on the program and boost the toots or take part in the value for value model, which our executive producer for today did for the first time. She has donated before, but only to the rock and roll pre-show, which I mean, let's be honest, better show overall. People get a lot more excitement out of that show. A lot less masturbation talk, but, uh, you know, you get what you get Which, here. Uh, you know, even despite the less masturbation talk, you can, you should still look into listening to it. It is a good show. And this comes from Widow Garrett for uh, 25 bucks. Note that says long overdue value for value. Thanks, G.O.B. Thank you, Widow Garrett, for listening, for engaging. Kick a few people in the nuts, hit them in the mouth, just grab them. And I mean, what do they do to turn people on to grumpy old Ben's? This is the best thing that you can possibly do is tell a friend about the show. And I was intrigued because we've been talking about marketing recently. And it's something that I've, you know, recognized now that Bill O'Reilly does really well, always saying, tell people about the show. 
And we talked to Carl from Rochester from the Who Are These podcast show after the last episode. And that was also brought up. Remind people to give a referral. And then I was listening you to know, Brian Brushwood's podcast of the the greatest con ever or whatever the title is. A really good series. And his whole thing was in the last episode that I listened to. Don't just post this to your social media. Don't text this to somebody. If you're enjoying the show, do me a favor. Call them on the phone or have a face-to-face conversation with them and tell them about the show. Which he's encouraging spam. No, he's talking he's encouraging talking <laughs> to people, not spamming. Oh, not, oh you know, not unwanted going. social un, unwanted synchronous social interactions. Yes. Well, for you it's unwanted. Some people actually enjoy <laughs> Some people talking like to their talking fellow to human each other. beings. Right. I don't get those. I, you know, I, I am I, I would really like to chalk this up to pure and utter coincidence, but it seems like most of the people that are most well known are good at marketing. And and there's gotta be a a reason or an explanation for this. Because of course marketing isn't legit, but but it just seems to be that way, doesn't it? It is. And with podcasts, there are literally millions of shows. So trying to stand out in a field that large is really hard. So it helps us immensely if you can turn a friend onto the show. At least tell them it's there. Tell them it's a good show. I mean, lie. That's fine. They'll uh, they'll find out for themselves when they tune in, whether they like it or not. No, no. You, you, what you're doing is you are you are setting expectations. You are pushing the Overton window for the show. Is that good? We just be like this is the best show ever. You are going to hear uh, the show, and you are never going to want to listen to another podcast. You know, well, yes, we'll spoil you completely. Exactly, which is why either that or we'll just ruin your ears. Well, no, we have the sweet, sweet sounding audio that cannot be beat, except maybe by uh, by Bandrew. He does really good audio. And the microphone, he was using a ribbon microphone the other day that he was testing. That was like a $5,000 microphone or something. And I'm just like, stop doing that to me. I want all these microphones. If I see them and I, hear them, I want them. I am still in that enviable position of not even understanding what the difference is between a ribbon microphone and whatever I've got in front of me. You are so lucky. I know. <laughs> Coming in today at $12, a monthly donation from our buddy, Progo, a.k.a. Brendan Kidwell a.k.a. go to smallcomputer.us, find out all the information that is fit to print, and maybe some that's not about Progo. He's the guy. If you have a question about anything, go to him. Ask him the question. I mean, he may not answer, but, I mean, you can at least ask. And we appreciate his support of the show. And then, I mean, speaking of monthly donations, this is a twice-monthly donation. Betty Solero coming in with six ninety six. Don't believe she's yes. ever sent a note. But this well, she's in the troll room. She she trolls for us. Well, see, that's good. We need the trolls to go out and troll. That's what they're good at. That's what we appreciate. Coming in at uh, six thirty three, our buddy Cameron White again. That's a monthly. Our buddy John Fletcher three fifty. That's again a monthly. He does a podcast with Carolyn Blaney called Hog Story. That if you've never checked that out, you should hogstory.net, hogstory.com, com. They've got speaking, speaking of ruining people on podcasts, they'll never want to listen to us again. <laughs> once you once you hear Fletcher's voice, I mean, he's got massive bass in the voice, which is why when he just bought a new microphone and I wasn't familiar with the microphone. So I went and I consumed the review that Bandrew did over on YouTube and Bandrew, 
whose voice is a little bit higher than uh, Fletcher's sounded like Barry White. I mean, there was just massive amounts of bass coming through. And I'm like, oh, Fletcher's going to blow this thing out, man. You better get a high pass filter. And, and he's like, yep. I, 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 I don't like to admit this, but I want to hear it. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Fletcher had it on. He's got the high pass filter, which you need. Otherwise, I mean, he would just be rattling. And he said it'll be good when he wants to record a the bass cabinet because the, the the microphone picks up a lot of bass. Not all microphones are created equally. So so what you're saying is that he's even better at you at blasting the bass into your face. Oh, there's no doubt. Fletcher has the bass and the voice that most of us can only dream about. I mean, Larry's Mr. Velvet, but Fletcher, he's got that low end. He's got that little bit of Texas going on and he just kicks your ass without you wanting to get it kicked or not. But then coming in at 333, Keith Shoemaker, we appreciate that. And the final one on the list for today is my favorite because we made a comment in the last Grumpy Old Benz, I believe it was, about, you know, this whole nobody in the middle, use your bank, use your online bill pay thing that you won't have to pay anything for them to write the check. Did, did we say use or did we say abuse? I think we said abuse. Because I said, well, help. okay, I said, if you want, you can set your bank up to send us whatever, you know, weekly, monthly, hell daily. You don't have to pay anything extra. And Jeremy Gerdes sent in uh, a donation, which we're crediting to him as 99 cents today. But it came in in one envelope, though, three different checks for 33 <laughs> cents for July 20th, July 21st and July 22nd. So I believe. Jeremy has asked his bank to send us a 33 cent check daily. So I, I, I don't want to dox Jeremy, so don't give me the name. But is this one of the, the big Wall Street banks or is this more like a local one? Uh, it does not say it's a oh, okay. you know what? I'm sorry. It's a credit union. So, uh, OK, OK, well, uh, OK, I, I definitely encourage this kind of behavior. And there there aren't any middleman fees for that. But uh, Jeremy. It don't go so far that you get kicked out of your credit union because I'd hate for you to have to go to to Chase or Bank of America. Uh, I, I if you if I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and revise the recommendation because I don't feel like anybody should be screwing their credit unions. But if you do happen to bank with one of the big ones, B of A or uh, or Chase or who, go ahead and screw them. For one thing, they they probably won't kick you out for this, but Jeremy might be getting a call like, why are you writing these checks? <laughs> I thought it was you hilarious. That you're, you're sending 33 cents per check and we're having to pay 10 cents per check just to write it. And and we cover that as a courtesy, but our courtesy is running out. But this was a proof of concept. I mean, we need to it, find out what happens. It sounds like it's working. And uh, it it's uh, you know what? Yeah. We might need to just scale this up, to be honest. Yes. Yeah, that may be. And uh, the fact that they will do a check a day, it looks like they'll prop. My guess would be is uh, they'll send them out once a week. We'll see if we get another one next week, which just means I have to take more pictures on my phone because that's how we deposit the checks that come in and uh, and sign up. But I thought that was a hilarious idea. So it is very much appreciated. Uh, it it. it- this is what we refer to as hacking the system, and I fully and wholly endorse it. But don't get into trouble with your credit union. Yes. I mean, if they ask you to stop, then you'll be like, okay, yeah. I get it. I just wanted to if see what you guys you would just, do. Just, yeah. 
Go go start a, a free checking account with one of the big Wall Street banks who won't even notice the extra charges. Exactly. Or want, don't, because that's un, that's hazardous. But if you want to take part in the value for value system that we use, the easiest thing to do is go to grumpyoldbenz.com slash donate. Decide how much value you got out of this show. You're listening right now. I mean, hopefully you got some good information from us or at least a good laugh. And uh, what's that worth to you? 33 cents? It's up to you at 33 cents a day. If, if that's, you know, that's what 11 cents an hour, the way we're going these days. Yeah. Split, but we have to split it by two though. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's that, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's not exactly minimum wage, but we're getting there. And I, I think, I think we're doing all right. We, we've got ideas. We're, we're planning on taking the whole show behind a paywall. Allegedly. I was thinking on the uh, Patreon I, thing. I, I mean, by the way, no, but I not, just not, not the whole show, but I was thinking no. that an interesting series for something like Patreon would be that once a month we choose another podcast, you know, like Hog Story, Rare Encounter, and, and put them up on our feed instead. No. Oh, we do a parody show of their show. So we do we do us doing their show, that style of show, uh, doing their show or just making fun of their show, like doing the pretending we're doing that show. So if we were, say we say we picked Hog Story first, we would like play the music and I'd be like, hey, welcome to Hog Story. I'm Darren O'Neill. And then you could just come in and we would do a Hog Story episode, just uh, our version of it. Okay, I, I'm on board, but you have to promise me at some point we're going to do random thoughts. Oh, we would have to. But how do we do multiple voice? I mean, we'd figure it out. I, you find a way. I mean, yeah, just actually you doing random thoughts. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I have to do like 30 minutes of audio by myself. <laughs> Damn it. Why you know, I actually uh, what what uh, I, I don't know if we published it or not. But what was kind of grumpy old men's ninety nine point five was me doing a solo show, trying to do it in the style of random thoughts. And I kind of gave up halfway through and just started ranting instead. <laughs> Well, that, that's but your I, strong point. Yeah. You, you go to, to Grumpy Old Benz if you want to be a part of the fun and click that donate button. That'll take you to PayPal for a one time or monthly donation. You can use the QR codes or the wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. And you can use the P.O. box address if you want to screw with your bank or just you know be nice and send a check or money order. All those options are available there. Go now. Become a part of the fun. Boost and be a part of the value for value revolution. And I did ask the Podfather because it was brought up to me, which I wouldn't have looked otherwise that uh, I think it was Abel Kirby covered this on rare encounter that. Yeah. I think we talked about this in the post show last week. It may have been that. Well, if you go to no agenda and to the podcast index 2.0 podcast, that the value tag doesn't exist in the raw RSS feed. So I asked Adam, like, are you aware of this? I mean, I know it's working because if I go to the Breeze app, then I can boost and I can send sats. So that's all working, but it's being added with the podcaster wallet. And Adam's reply was that this is how it's supposed to work for now, that for people that want to get this set up easily and quickly, you do it through the podcaster wallet and this just works. You don't have to edit your RSS feed, which I've been doing. But the reality now, though, is I've I now but, I learned I don't know I probably missed this at some point or forgot that whatever is in 
our RSS feed. So whatever in the physical RSS feed that we publish would override anything that was added to the API for the podcaster wallet. And, and I, I did confirm because we, we don't use the podcaster wallet. We, uh, but we do publish a value tag in our RSS feed. And I confirmed that podcast index does list grumpy old Ben's as a value enabled podcast. So it's good that it's pulling that information from the podcast feed. Well, I do believe uh, I set it up there first. So that may be yes. where they're getting it. Uh, oh, maybe. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and reiterate the point that I made on the, in the post show last week, when we, we talked about this pretty extensively with cold acid, uh, who was on the call, I believe, I think was that cold acid. Yes. Yes, it was. Uh, It was with somebody. It sounded like Bill Gates. I wasn't sure which, which Bill Gates impersonator we were talking to. Uh, the, the point that I will make is, uh, I, I think they're doing it all right. It's, it's, I feel like we're at the, top of a slippery slope to have uh, a proprietary service be able to inject information in there that isn't in the RSS feed, but I don't see how this is harming it in particular. As long as the system for the RSS works, I guess we're doing okay, but I kind of feel like for the purpose of making sure everything is open and interoperable, interoperative, the all of the information that goes into any given index should be expressed in the RSS feed. And the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is that one of the things that Dave Jones has at least been talking about and, and even Adam Curry on podcasting 2.0 is the idea that, uh, they don't want to be a unique index. They don't want to be a unique resource because then podcast index becomes the single point of failure. They are trying to design a system for multiple indexes to pop up and exist. If somebody else wants to go out there and connect to pod ping or, or aggregate RSS feeds, it is a ridiculous amount of work as Dave Jones will be able to tell you. But if somebody else wants to do that and create another index that competes with podcast index, they should be able to. Uh, but at this moment, podcaster wallet is not going to be reporting value information into theirs into some other index. And therefore, that value information would not be available to another index, which means that now we have a proprietary back channel of information from podcaster wallet, which is like I said, at the top of a slippery slope that puts podcast index as the single point of failure for all of podcasting. And it's a long way down that slope, but um, I'm just, I'm just looking, I'm looking down is all. Well, and the, the, yeah, it's a one point of failure, and it would also go down the lines of what we're seeing with so much of the malware ransomware that this is one place. If you were hacked, you could change a lot of wallet addresses in one place rather than having to hack individual RSS feeds. Yeah, that's a little frightening. Although, yeah. admittedly, I, I I would bet that Podcaster Wallet is probably better secured than many of the feeds out there. Oh yeah. That- no, no uh, doubt. you know, because if, if you if you lose your website password or or somebody executes a, a social engineering attack against your email provider who who backs up the change password link for your website and all they do is go in and change which wallet your value tag points to and leave the rest of your website. How many months would it be before you discovered that somebody had hacked you? Probably a long time, especially if you didn't take 100 percent because you can split these in different ways. 
So somebody could just add themselves as like five or 10% of everybody's feed. Oh, sure. And then would never, never so figure it out. My second point that, again, I made during the post show talk last week. Uh, but but since we don't publish the post show, this will be new to a lot of people who weren't listening live at the time was that uh, it, no agenda to a lesser extent and podcasting 2.0 podcast. Absolutely. I I understand that podcaster wallet is injecting the value tag in there, but you are creating a system whereby you want podcasters to you. Well, You want podcasters to implement the podcast namespace features. You want podcasters to take on the new features that podcast index is lighting up. You want podcasters to do this. If I am going and writing a feed and supposing I'm not with one of the big hosts who are actively working with with you on uh, if I am writing my feed and I am not exactly certain how to do it, well, okay, if it's me, I go directly to the spec, which is exactly how we got the grumpy old Ben's one where we got the, the value tag in. But a lot of people learn by example. Right. And the example that Dave Jones and Adam Curry are giving in their podcasting 2.0 podcast is here is we, we want you to implement all of our features. And here we are putting out a podcast, the flagship podcast of this network, and it doesn't have a value tag in the RSS feed. So people who go out and look at your RSS feed and say, how do I make this work are not getting the right information. Uh, it, it, I guess Dave Jones update the freedom controller because if, if there is one podcast out there whose RSS feed you need to be absolutely 100 pristine and nail every one of the features you're pushing, it needs to be the podcast 2.0 feed. Well, because we have heard from people that were confused, like, well, I, I want to add this. I just wanted to make sure I was doing it right. Now, where is it in this feed? And I was like, oh, wait, it's not in this feed. And uh, that was a little weird. I understand now the explanation from Adam makes sense, which is. A lot of people, as you say, we're self-hosted, so we're a little different. I think we're in a vast minority. I believe probably, if I had to guess, upwards of 80% of the people that are doing podcasts are on one of these services that you just can't edit the feed. They're very locked down. You can't mess with it. It's, it's made so it's like, ah, you're an idiot. We'll do it all for you. That's what you're paying us extra for. But when you come into one of these companies with, hey, I want to add a new tag, and they're like, no, then there's really nothing you can do, which is why the podcaster wallet thing exists, that until these other larger companies jump on board and allow you to enter this information directly in your RSS feed, they needed a workaround, which is, I was glad, again, I neither hadn't heard this, forgot this, whatever, that what goes into the hardwired RSS feed. So if you have your information in the podcaster wallet, in the API, and you decide to change something and you now have that in your hard-coded RSS, you don't have to worry about what was there. The podcaster wallet thing looks at the RSS and goes, oh, it exists here. So then we can delete what we had in our system. We don't have to worry about it. You, you make a great point, and I believe that's why the back channel exists. And and like I said, I think that the back channel is righteous for now because not everybody 
has not everyone has the ability to inject that value tag in there and they're they're creating a new way to do it and and it seems to work right now uh my my argument is that long term i'm not sure this is a good idea Uh, or or not long term this isn't the architecture that we want moving forward it it is a great uh, scaffolding for getting to where we want to be moving forward and what we're doing is kind of a pain because i turned off the automatic updates i mean that's probably a good thing but on the uh, blueberry power press which we use to post the podcast into the wordpress system that i turned off the updates and when a new update comes in i go in to edit plugin in wordpress i open up the rss feed that was existing in there the, for that code for the rss feed creation i go in I cut the value tag out of there and then I update and then I paste the tag back in and save that out. So every time it updates, I have to go add that back in to the RSS feed because as of yet, I don't know why that Blueberry hasn't added this in yet because this would be a very easy thing to do, but they haven't added the ability to just set this tag and have it be done. So you don't have to do every, every time there's an update to go and edit the feed but it can be done if you have access to that but I, it's a pain and if you forget and you have auto updates on then that would get wiped out every time there was a new update so it's not optimal but i mean we've probably been doing a little extra work because i think everybody I'm, all of these uh programs and apps that allow you to stream the sats and boost are all using the podcaster wallet i guess the api I'm so proud of you for taking steps of managing your own code, though. Well, it's one way to know what's there and where it it is. So, so next and next up, where I'm going to be showing you how to check in your value tag changes into a Git repository, so that when you take an update, you can simply run the merge command. Ooh, that's an even better idea. Uh, It's a pain in the ass, but it's how (laughs) coders do it. (laughs) Who wants to be a coder? we are being accused of having talked about this on the main show last week. And I don't, I didn't think that was true. I know we talked about it extensively during the post show. And a lot of this is new and on. Yeah. A lot of this is new information with uh, the, since I got the email from Adam today. So, I mean, there's, there was that, but uh, I mean, I think this is important stuff for people to know who want to take part in all this kind of stuff. When it comes to, you know, having the security on the accounts, I thought it was interesting just as an aside. Because we've talked about two-factor authentication and uh, Twitter has set up two-factor authentication and a whopping. What now? Yeah, Twitter has. Do they not have it? They've had it for a little while now. But as of now, only 2.3% of their users are actively using two-factor authentication. You know, be careful with numbers like that. When when numbers like that end up getting back to uh, a, a woke set of developers, their next logical step is, well, obviously we need to force everybody into something. Yeah. Like a vaccine, um, yeah. which <laughs> that wasn't what I was going to say, but into two factor authentication in the troll room. Boobery was questioning earlier. If we did a rare encounter spinoff show, would we fact check grumpy old Ben's during that show? And of course, absolutely. Yes. That's, yes. A, that's the Hell whole yes. show would be that. I mean, that's really the only interesting bit of rare encounters. So of course we'd have to include it. Yeah. Cause otherwise we don't know anything about manga or anime or any of that other crazy stuff. Yeah, I don't stuff. know anything about anime and I, I don't, I 
I dare not ever speak the words digital signal processing where Abel Kirby can hear it. So really <laughs> back checking grumpy old Ben's is all we get left. Did you know he has a new podcast about music? And uh, I was aware he does it with Spencer. Yes. The uh, the Abel cast. I think it was. I added it. Abel craft. A-B-L-E-K-R-A-F-T. Yes, I saw it. It is in. I have a I have a queue of podcasts that I try to listen to usually for uh, things that were mentioned just to see if they're stream worthy. It's in that queue, but I am behind. Yeah, you are always behind. You got to just listen at five times speed. My wife says I have a fantastic behind. No, that's not. I think you're misunderstanding. But did you see DuckDuckGo is starting an email forwarding service, which this was this was weird to me. I understand the concept, but I still don't know. I mean, and I trust to a certain extent DuckDuckGo way more than I trust Google. But uh, again, setting a high bar there. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, I guess if we have to use Google as the baseline, then DuckDuckGo is like really trustworthy. But needing something like this is the the problem. And this is a, from a bleeping computer article it says DuckDuckGo is rolling out an email privacy feature that will strip incoming messages of trackers that can help profile you for better profiling and ad targeting. Use of uh, the service. Get a free at duck.com email address that cleans the messages and then forwards them to your normal inbox. DuckDuckGo is going to implement a feature that I've been using for 15 years in squirrel mail. Yes. And they will process all of your email for you. So which means you're giving DuckDuckGo access to all of your email. And they say it's in memory and we won't store anything and we're not using this for anything. Email is unencrypted. So your, your, uh, your mailbox handlers, every, every mailbox handler along the way has access to all of your email unless you encrypt it anyway. Yes. So that's not super new, but the, the, uh, actually what concerns me more is the idea that they might be rewriting the email. And even if I assumed that DuckDuckGo was the most reliable company in the world and that everything was correct, I would still insist on give me a button that shows me the original unedited version of this message. And if they don't offer that, I'm not interested in the service. Right. To know what they're actually editing. Because then then you're not. You know, I don't want I don't want uh, a rewriting. I, I don't mind having a filter for viewing. Which is the which is obviously message. not what they're doing because they're then forwarding it to your normal email account. So they are taking your email, they are editing it and stripping out the bad stuff. Put that in quotes, and then yeah. forwarding that to your normal email. And if if I don't have access to that code, then I can't I can't trust anybody but me to decide what bad stuff needs to be stripped out. Censorship is is a dangerous road, no matter how good an idea it seems like at the time. And if you've decided that something is spam, then it it might be a a very important letter from my aunt or something who doesn't know how to do email and creates email that looks like spam. I don't know. Uh, Every every spam filter there. There's a reason that the junk folder exists. Every you know, the, the difference between censorship and a filter is can you get the unfiltered results? Yes. And I would think that. For most people, you can do this on your own, which is this seems like this is a concept that is about 15 years too late. I mean, before I was using Gmail, which I'll be honest, Gmail, really great spam filtering. 
really bad for everything else. I, I've been using Spam Assassin for 15, 18 years. <laughs> Spam Assassin and uh, Pop File is what I had set up like 15, 20 years ago, which filtered everything locally as it was coming in. And it learned because it had the Bayesian filters that you can go in and say, well, this is good. This is spam. This isn't. And that did a very good job. And it was all done locally. I don't like this concept. I like DuckDuckGo overall, but I don't like this concept of, well, you give them a DuckDuckGo address and then we get that email. And then before we for because it's just strictly a forwarding service before we forward it on to you. We're going to take out the bad stuff that we're going to take well, out any track. Like I said, I, for me, the the decision is entirely binary. This sounds like uh, uh, it is a benefit. Uh, oh, well, okay. it is a benefit if it works. But if it works, it is a benefit exactly if you still have the ability to go see what filtering they did. If if I can't get the original message and compare and find out what they did on any message in the system then it is it is not worth it. It's not a good feature. Yes. And they won't have that because they're not storing the email. So it's not like, oh, we store it for even 24 hours where you can click a link that says, show me the original. And then after 24 hours, it's gone. No, they never. And that's why I like client side filtering. I agree. Hey, we agree on something. How rare is that? Okay, then we need to definitely move on immediately (laughs) and forget this ever happened. The show must come to an end. Uh, What else you got? Uh, I got two more stories. Um, I've got, uh, I, I, uh, teased an Ethereum story two weeks ago and I finally got around to figuring out what the hell was going on. Um, it's, it's a little dry, Attention! it's it's important. Crypto zealots. Yes. Okay. Attention. Crypto zealots. Turn off the podcast here because I don't want to hear about you. (laughs) Yes. Um, this, I, I, I promised that I would look into what EIP 1559 was and partway through, I realized how incredibly dry and boring this sounds, but then I started thinking about it and realized this is actually important. Now, uh, it, it, this is not a change that does what I thought it did originally and may have mentioned on a previous show. Uh, this is not a change that is moving Ethereum to proof of stake instead of proof of work. That is definitely something people are pushing for, but it's not happening here. Uh, but this proposal, EIP is Ethereum improvement proposal, uh, is changing the fee mechanism for gas fees. Uh, the current mechanism, the way, the way Ethereum works and one of the reasons why gas fees are both incredibly high and also incredibly variable is that when you want to put a transaction onto the Ethereum blockchain, you, there is a, a, an auction of sorts to get transactions into whatever the next block being generated is. And uh, because it's an auction, uh, the the way it works is that people bid against each other to get theirs in. And and whenever you put in, whenever you put in an Ethereum transaction, you've got a a maximum bid that you can set. And it's kind of like two eBay bots trying to snipe each other. They'll both go up until they hit whichever one has the, the lower maximum. And then the next one will be what a penny more or whatever much. And we'll end up in the blockchain. And, uh, the, the other one has to wait for the next block. Um, the change is to change this system to a dynamically adjusted base fee, which replaces the auction. It's very similar to Bitcoin's, uh, dynamic proof of work difficulty, where if, uh, if blocks are more than 50% full, then the fee starts going up. And if blocks are less than 50% full, the fee starts going down. 
Um, the hugest change in this is that that fee is going to be burned instead of the fee being given to the miner who mined the block. Um, this is uh, arguably to counter from the inflation from mining. Uh, unlike Bitcoin, Ethereum is not capped. There is not going to be a finite number of Ethereum. Bitcoin, they solve this by uh, in the future, you get less and less Bitcoin per block mine. And eventually you're going to get no Bitcoin per block mine once once they've all been mined. And then you're supposed to make all your money based on fees. Ethereum, every block gets Ethereum and there there's not the diminishing returns as the blockchain gets longer which means that uh, with Ethereum, you will always have the incentive to mine more because you get fresh Ethereum. Uh, however, it can make it an inflationary currency. Some people are concerned by that. So uh, the idea is to change gas fees so that gas fees just disappear into nowhere. They are burned. Um, anyway, the entire intent to this, other than the, the inflation part, is to reduce the volatility in gas fees. Uh, the idea is that a base fee applies to uh, an entire block, give or take, instead of, uh, a, you know, one of the things that they, the, the articles I pointed out or pointed out that it is inequitable for two transactions on the same block to be paying wildly different gas fees, which is true of the way the auction system works. Yeah, well, it's all uh, timing. Yeah, it's it's when you get in. Did you get, you know, the best time to get in was right after a block is mined and you're one of the first transactions in, then it's easier to auction in. But um, the thing is this will, in, it will reduce the volatility in gas fees. It will make them more predictable. What it's not going to do initially is reduce gas fees because right now uh, the blockchain is backed up significantly short term. There's so much congestion that the, the base fee is going to continue to be really high. Um, what this is going to do is burn a lot of Ethereum and maybe that's good. Maybe it's not. Some people are whining about deflation. Some people are still whining about inflation. I wasn't going to go too far into that. Um, the uh, idea though, is that it removes a lot of the options to manipulate fees here. Here's one thing that apparently this fixes. I had no idea this was going on, uh, but a malicious miner will fill up the first two thirds of a block with empty transactions so that they can inflate the market price uh, in, in the auction for the legit transactions. Nice. That's, that's horrifying and also economically incentivized, which yep. I guess this change, uh, it also is one of the things that would absolutely Im increase congestion on the blockchain, but okay. Uh, then the last thing this does is it introduces a variable block size from fixed 12.5 megabyte to a floating amount based on the base fee. So uh, fees will not go down short term on this. Fee prediction will be easier. Uh, the delays will be fewer and more predictable. Uh, you you will, um, you know, right now, if you put in and you have a particularly low cap on your gas fees, then your your transaction could be delayed a very long time as people keep outbidding you. This one moves it more closer to a FIFO model so that when you get it in, uh, you you will be paying the base fee, whatever that is. But you will get in within a reasonable amount of time. Um, overall, I uh, it this is is another step in the evolution of crypto coin where people start to figure out what works and what doesn't. And I am I'm kind of a I'm kind of excited to see what this would be, especially with the uh, it, it was it, this article as as evidenced by the fact that it took me almost three weeks to bring this from the first time I thought I was going to. Um, 
was incredibly difficult to research because there's so many different ideas out there. There's so many different people. Uh, every blog post has very strong opinions one way or another. I had to read a lot about this and I'm not convinced I got it right. If I didn't get it right, shut up. Or or email Darren at Grumpy Old Ben's and he'll go ahead and, and fact check me and forward check. Yeah, I'll forward that to you. <laughs> um, but ga- I mean, gas prices, that is the one thing that. Well, OK, I was going to say almost everybody can agree on. But the minute we say that somebody's going to email like, no, gas prices are a big part of the system and they have they're great. Um, but for people to be able to move into a system where they can use crypto with regularity for doing things like, you know, buying a pop or, you know, oh, sorry, soda, soft drink, then uh, the fees can't be 20 bucks to buy a dollar item. And yes, that's uh, that's something that needs to be overcome. I mean, everybody's, I, that's, I mean every, you know, this is where everybody's screaming like, it's, it's not a currency, it's a store of value. But, uh, oh, okay, so, so the question is, which one is it going to be? Because some people want it to be one and some people want it to be the other. And a lot of people are using it as both and it doesn't fit both bills very well. No, because if you have to pay that much and it's like it's uh, I don't know how much of a store of value it is. I've been watching the markets go down again over the last few weeks. So, I mean, it's it's a way to lose some money. But uh, I mean, anybody that bought Bitcoin and what was it up to 60 something thousand and it's down to thirty two thousand today. I saw blitz checking in and the troll room and it'll be up and it'll be down and it'll be up and down. It, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But it's like the saying it's a store of value. It's like, no, it's not. I mean, I know things and, and they'll have arguments for that too. I know gold, silver, and the precious metals go up and down. But if you watch the lines of how much they go up and down, it's a relatively stable thing. I don't think, you know, I think gold is at about 1800 today if i'm not mistaken um i think as far as i've been following this over the last few years it's been anywhere from about 1500 to about 2000 it stayed in that range it's not it like, sounds like you're also describing grumpy old ben's donations yeah. they're highly volatile in the short term but mostly stable and we need them to keep going up up and, we, and up just like bitcoin we want them to keep going up yes we need the support so we could buy crypto. And then, I mean, if we go broke, it's our fault, not yours. See, so, I mean, that's the beauty I, of it. I, I have, you know, I, I, I still buy into the idea that, that w- at least one of these could become an actual currency, which enables a lot of very useful online scenarios that we, you know, right now we're still stuck with MasterCard and Visa for almost all online transactions and uh, that chafes a lot, especially as woke as MasterCard has been. But the two things that uh, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum or whatever, the two things that are a a large impediment to this becoming a real usable currency for everyday transactions. One is the high fees. Uh, This change does not change, do anything to change the fees, but I, I will, we'll see if anything happens there. In fact, um, depending on the backlog of transactions and what the base fee does, the fees could in fact be higher. Uh, but what it does do is totally address the other thing that was a huge impediment to becoming a, an everyday currency. And that is the volatility. When, as we talked about when we we're talking about El Salvador, when your currency is, you know, buys, 
it, when it takes $2 to buy a loaf of bread today and $4 to buy a loaf of bread tomorrow, and then the day after a, lo- a dollar buys three loaves of bread, um, you're not doing well as a currency because people, it, people lose the ability to plan ahead, to manage their money, to build a budget. It just, you, you can't do that. So, uh, addressing the volatility is extremely important. And it looks like this is the, uh, like I said, this, this is, it's boring. It's heavy in math. And it looks like it's exactly what the, the system needs if you're going to try to become a currency. So I'm starting, it's starting to look like Ethereum wants to. Yes, perhaps. Fletcher wants to know if we're going to start Grump Coin. I looked into that, which it's amazing if you do, if you look into the story of Dogecoin and realize that started with somebody taking all of the open source files for Bitcoin and running it through a text editor and changing Bitcoin to Dogecoin. You know, I mean, that was it. And it was born. And then throwing some some CPU cycles at mining. uh, Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, but that's all there really was to it. And so it's not hard to start your own coin. I mean, it's hard to get people to use it. It's hard to want to start my own coin. I'll tell you that much. Yes. There's a lot of problems around all this stuff. And uh, yeah, that's more trouble than I think we're looking for. But I mean, a hog coin might be good. Swine coin, something good. Like that. <laughs> I mean, where the, where yes. the, the Doge coin had the little, you know, Pomeranian looking dog. You could just have a pig on the coin. That would be cool. It's like, get it now. Get the hog coin. Nope, Doug, Doug doesn't understand swine coins yet. Yeah, he will. Doug will yes. finally figure it out one day. He will. So, okay, uh, judging by the fact that the entire troll room just stopped moving during that story, apparently I bored people with that one. So I brought you one that is a little bit more interesting. Okay, vote, everybody. And, and do you want do you want Bemrose ever to cover crypto ever again? Vote now in the troll room, trollroom.io. Yes, or or just send spam to Darren at GrumpyOldBenz.com because he does not yet have the the DuckDuckGo email rewriter, so he should get all of it. I get no spam. And the problem there is you'd have to send your email to something at duck.com. Like, how cool is that? Can you imagine being super cool? Podcaster? Uh, you, like- you can't even you cannot <laughs> even start an email service unless you offer domain redirecting. I mean, that's, like, you yeah. know, if I mean, at some point you just redirect mail, mail dot random dot com to a DDG server and they fix that. That's how that usually works. If they don't offer that, they're not they're They're not feature complete yet. Exactly. Uh, okay. Well, here's, here's my other story. Now that, now that we're over time, but <laughs> okay, well now we can get to it. Now this is I, we're, well, we're right on schedule. Sure li- I always make sure to leave the really important stories until after everybody has signed off and shut off the podcast. So this is a, you this know, is a pro tip for anybody who really wants the important stories. Look at your chapters file and go to the final so story. This was a study. Uh, this study came from, uh, Colin McMillan and Tim Toady who put out what uh, very much looked like a, a professional study paper, uh, e- even to the point of publishing it as a PDF. So <laughs> screw you guys for that. Um, so this study started with a tweet, a Twitter exchange. The exchange was somebody called APF saying, I don't want to teach my kid to code. I want him to splash in muddy puddles and smear paint on the walls and read novels under the covers way too late at night. I grew up too soon and wish I'd had more time to be a kid. Why do schools teach vocational skills so young these days? And the response to that from Jaffa the Cake <laughs> said, "Wait, wait. So we got Jabba the Hut and then Jaffa the Cake. Uh, maybe. 
Okay. I, 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 these are Twitter handles. I don't, I don't even, I, I don't even dip my toe in that namespace anymore, but said, uh, responded to that said, but is it possible to smear paint on the wall without creating valid Pearl? And that was the question this study sought to answer. Um, this study, the method used is that given an image, uh, they would, they would take an image, uh, whatever the candidate image of, of paint being smeared on a wall, splattered, whatever, use the Tesseract OCR library, optical character recognition to try to extract text from it. Uh, they used version 4.00 beta one. That's important to extract candidate text from an image. They then feed that text into Perl 5.26.1 and try to determine if it executes a valid program. Um, a couple quotes I pulled from the study. Uh, one was, we are not aware of the existence of any standard paint splatter data sets in the object recognition or OCR community. Although also ImageNet's website was down on the day we decided to perform this research. We therefore paid an unemployed person to download 100 examples of paint splatter artwork by searching Pinterest using the query paint splatter wallpaper. They then manually filtered the images to remove any that had a, any kind of text overlay because that would be cheating. And uh, the result was they ended up with a data set of 100 splatter images, just images of paint being splattered on canvas in any way. Running it through an OCR, 93 of them turned out to be valid Perl code. No, 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 it could not. Yes. <laughs> and I just dropped a link to the uh, the data set and what the OCR determined in there. Now. Uh, part of the reason is that the OCR did not come up with long paragraphs worth of text or even sentences or even words in many cases. In fact, of the 93, 20 of them were parsed as numeric literals, which are a valid Perl program. Uh, several others had nothing but punctuation, like a semicolon or a comma. Again, valid Perl. Um, three of them were actually parsed by the parser, but resulted in errors, including one that resulted in a division by zero. But most of them ended up getting parsed using a Perl feature called uh, unquoted strings. So if you give a word to the Perl interpreter that it does not recognize as a keyword in Perl, it will implicitly put quotes around it and treat it as a string, which is a valid program. So. Uh, now, if you you have to run Perl without the the dash W warning command line option, which, by the way, I recommend every recommend everybody does it. And many of the programs that use unquoted strings gave error messages such as the following, which I pulled out of the study. <laughs> was that an unquoted, error message or was that you? No, that was, that was me <laughs> coughing. Unquoted string. May clash with a future reserved word at line one. That was that was one of the error messages that was given in the study. Um, and then finally, for completeness sake, uh, the study also scanned the icon from Nintendo's Splatoon image as the canonical image of a paint splat. Um, they ran it through the Perl interpreter and concluded that the result was NSFW. Uh, the footnote <laughs> attached to that points out that it's Perl that's not safe for work. The splat is fine. Some people have way too much free time. <laughs> I thought 
thought this was fascinating. Did you did you look at the link that I just put in? I have not. I was I was actually looking at another story that is amazing. Because because I I looked through all 100 images and I swear to you I do not see any text in any of these images. But the link that I gave includes the image and the text that the OCR parsed it out of. Um, there's there's some pretty images. I mean, this is like phone wallpaper, very colorful. And I guess everything is, uh, you know, can be converted to binary. Or or everything can be fed into an OCR and you get something out. (laughs) Yes. I mean, because I guess the OCR is going like mm, closest, whatever. What do we got? The the OCR is just as confused as everybody else, but the OCR is like, well, I'm supposed to come up with like this is what this study is, is is imagine if you give AI a Rorschach test. Yes, that's what we're getting here. And yes. then you feed it into Pearl, <laughs> which consumes Rorschach tests and calls them programs. It's like, what do you see here? What do you think I see here? Hmm. Eliza's back. I used to love yeah, Eliza so, back in the day. Um. Shibadesh wants to know if this project was funded by the CIA and I am not, I would not be at all surprised if there's some weird mind games going on here. If it was, then my conclusion is it worked on me because I was chuckling the entire time I was pulling up this study, but it was in a PDF format. So that was probably angering you at the same time. So you were chuckling while angered. Oh, I can, (laughs) have you ever heard my angry laugh? It's fearsome to behold. I guess we need, we need to ISO it the next time it happens. But uh, the article I was looking at, which is amazing to me, because this is something as a uh, former baseball junkie that with all of these sign signal stealing things that have been going on over the past few years, I've always said, why don't you just automate this an electronic device in the catcher's glove? They could just press a button and send the signal to the pitcher. They're testing such a device, which I think would be fantastic. I, I, I mean, I, I was under the impression that baseball had some kind of rule that went back from way back in the day that you're not allowed to use electronic means of communication. It's the reason why they still use signals and hand signs and, and the, you know, when, when the, the base coach over at third base starts hey, you think he's got Tourette's because he's tugging on his ears and pulling his nose and tweaking his eyebrows and then you realize oh he's speaking in some kind of semaphore i mean you're lucky if he's only pulling his nose <laughs> i mean depending what league you're in i suppose i think that does matter yes but this is what i mean this again this is a move i think in the right direction and yes these things have been not allowed but they're finally coming around to you know how you get rid of the problem of people stealing the hand signals from center field because i mean encryption right it's it's hard to encrypt your fingers when uh <laughs> when you're doing this it's hard to beat a system where you know somebody's got a camera and the cameras are so much better oh, even yeah. over the last few years to where you can get some uh you know it's no problem seeing hand signals from all the way across a stadium at this point so this just makes sense to me the most interesting thing is not the transmitter that the catcher will have, which is a uh, little number pad with nine buttons. So, I mean, you can have, usually most pitchers only have a few. Most pitchers don't have nine pitches, so I think you're okay there. Yes, and then there's buttons for like up or down, so they can, you know, actually just give, you know, press fastball up or down, you know, left or right, whatever to do that. 
And uh, the most interesting thing appears to be how they're going to send this to the pitcher will be in the pitcher's cap, which will be using bone induction technology. And I've tested some uh, headphones and stuff like this, which is it's a very weird thing because it it works. Yes, it it, it sounds it's not sound like wearing cans, but yes. But yes, you don't need that. I mean, you're not looking for super high fidelity. No. You just need to be able to. No, signal I mean, all, them. all you really need is is like a a servo in your hat with a mini hammer, and like how many times did it just pound on my skull? <laughs> right, right. And, you know, the nice thing is, you don't want to be wearing an ear, you know, earplug or anything like that because that could keep you from hearing other things going on. Yeah, it, you know, and, and, and that's more dangerous. importantly, imagine taking a baseball to the ear with a device in it. <laughs> yes, that would just go right through your uh, brain. I mean, this isn't a huge problem for. For coaches telling quarterbacks what play in football because they're wearing helmets already. But yes, so that'll be this. This will be interesting if they implement this, because then the race to steal signs will be one that is completely via technology. What what will be interesting is when ball clubs hire hackers to hack into the other teams. Yes, that's exactly what I said. This is where this is going to go. Or, you know, the simplest form is some kind of burst of static so that the pitcher doesn't get the signal. And then at some point you end up like you crack it and then you get the sign. Okay, that's great. But then at what point do you start giving the wrong one? Right. Right. You you're intercepting and then just like, wait, no. But no, I didn't it's call for a Performing a, a man in the middle attack yes. between the pitcher and catcher. Oh, that would be fantastic. Why do you keep throwing the fastball right down the middle? Yeah, this calling. guy loves fastballs. Why do you keep throwing fastballs? Because you keep calling for fastballs. No, I'm not. It was what that was uh, Bull Durham, one of the greatest baseball movies ever made. No, no matter even the fact that I don't like baseball right now, MLB, that would be a fun movie to oh, watch. I love again. baseball. I don't like MLB. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. That was the best was uh, the guy just hits a home run like 14 miles out of the ballpark. And uh, Kevin Costner goes out and uh, the pitcher's like, Wow, he hit that like he knew it was coming. And Kevin Costner's like, he did. I told him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's how you yeah. keep your pitcher in line, catchers. That's how you do it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, oh, that's right. I, I was trying to remember the plot of that one. Just just to, that's the one where Costner is the catcher who's trying to keep the new hotshot pitcher who's got lots of talent and and does not pay attention, right? Yes. And he's the yeah. aged veteran still in the minor leagues, but then there's a Susan Sarandon who was still kind of hot at that age, you know? Yeah. That- they, yeah. We're not a movie review show, so I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> but we could but be yes. if we, we do that. Uh, it could be on the, Patreon. The anytime. line I was thinking of was, was in, uh, you know, another excellent classic movie that everybody needs to have watched major league. Oh, uh, yes. Where uh, he, uh, it, it, who the catcher in that one was what uh, Tom Berenger and is telling the pitchers like uh, you know I want you to throw this guy a fastball. He's like I I I can't I can't throw him a fastball. The first one I threw hasn't landed yet. <laughs> Bull Durham. The other classic line was, "I want you to hit the mascot." What <laughs> hit the mascot? No, maybe that was Major League. See those two can there. There's a lot of overlap. They're, they're both great movies. Yes, they are. And uh, as MLB falters. Those movies well, we should, are still fun. We we should probably quit while we're behind. I think we should, and we'll be back to do more of this. Today's uh, what uh, Friday, so we'll be back on Monday to do more fun and exciting. Grumpy old Ben's movie reviews, tech pro, you know, sports uh, commentary. I mean, the Olympics are maybe going on. Uh, there's a virus. Who knows what we'll be talking about on Monday? But we will be here on 
the No Agenda stream, noagendastream.com, noon Eastern time. Come join us. And for the love of Pete, go over to grumpyoldbens.com slash donate if you've never done it. It feels good. Yeah, I mean, it won't trigger anything in your brain that'll cause a stroke, hopefully, but it feels good. And until then, I am Darren O'Neill, coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where, come to think of it, I'm pretty happy I'm not in Walla Walla. And from America's left coast, where the Pearl programs of the future are going to be written with laxatives. I'm Ryan Bemrose. That is something I do not want to clean up. I've been informed I'm not allowed to use the how do you usually end this show anymore or joke anymore. Fletcher just thinks the jokes run its course and he's kind of the authority on such things. So, yeah, well, everything on Hog Story's already run its course. What's his excuse?